All right, we're going to uh, go to Philippians 2. Um, so we're, we're skipping around a little bit, but I'm trying to be a little purposeful in the chapters that I'm doing. Uh, so skip in Ephesians, but we're going to do that next time, at least I think. But if not then, then, then in a few weeks. So uh, when we think about, uh, to kind of get our minds wrapped around this idea, I want us to think about what is, what either, what is the hardest thing that you had to give up or if you had to give up something, what do you feel like would be really hard for you to give up? <laughs> Did you say food? All right. All food all together. So, OK. I mean, I guess that's true. Let's keep it away from like, you know, breathing or uh, my heart beating or something like that. But like a voluntarily like so solid food, I guess, maybe could be could be one. So what I hear chocolate. OK. Iced coffee. Has that been a, how long have you been to the iced coffee? Has it been like a couple years or is it a? Yeah, a few years. A few years, okay. So it's not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, removing from the shallow things that we talked about. <laughs> please, please. The love of family. The love. <laughs> <laughs> Is that if you had to give it up, or it was hard to give that up? Is that <laughs> yes? Yeah. What's that? Driving. Driving. Ooh. Yeah. Does Uber still count? Like, you know. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, and if you, uh, <laughs> so I'm sure for a lot of us, you know, if it was like voluntarily, did anyone grow up um, doing, um, <laughs> no, I can't think of, if you're Catholic, uh, like Lent, yeah, where you gave up something for 40 days, you know, or no, no one, no one grew up. So I grew up uh, Catholic or, you know, and there's some other denominations that do that, which I actually think is like a good practice. Um, you know, I feel like I've mentioned this before. I'd have, you know, Catholic friends in college that would give up things that they really didn't do anyway. Be like, I'm going to give up skydiving. And you're like, how many times have you been skydiving? You know, I'm going to give up bull riding or, you know, so um, anyway, so I'm like, I don't think that counts. I don't think that's what the whole purpose is. Um, but you know, sometimes it was like, I'm going to give up ice cream, you know, and you're like, for 40 days as a kid, it was, uh, seemed, seemed pretty, pretty hard. Um, but you would survive, right? You know, some people, right, have had to give up, you know, these things involuntarily, but you know, sometimes you think if I had to give it up and I just made that choice to give it up, what would be like, why, why would it feel like such a loss? Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of, kind of think about that just a little bit. Uh, so last time we were in Galatians 3, um, finishing up, you know, the reasons why faith is so important, right? The righteous shall live by faith. And so um, faith is not only a person's means of salvation, <laughs> their way to eternal life, um, but it's also, uh, you know, the way that we all live freely under Christ as we walk by the Spirit here in the present. And so this freedom that we have 
is by walking in the Spirit. And sometimes, that, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, again, this legalism, and sometimes why do we follow the law and rules and get drawn to that. And so we're going to start entering into some of the practical uh, passages uh, of Paul's writings. And again, kind of the chapters, all of his, you know, a lot of his um, letters are uh, theological and practical, right? The, the why we do what we do and the how we carry it out. And so in some letters, we're skipping the why because he covers a lot of, you know, he, he ends up repeating himself, right? The, the more that you kind of, if you read like through his letters, you know, quickly, you'll kind of see like the same things kind of come up just maybe in different ways. And so I want to emphasize one of those points uh, today as we look in Philippians chapter 2. And so uh, we're going to start there and then go back to Ephesians. So even though the Bible has it in a certain order, um, then we're going to kind of follow my order. Uh, because of why that the, how the New Testament is arranged. So true, right? So you have the Gospels, like the, the life of Jesus, and then you have kind of the life of the church, right? Somewhat by author, but then even by author, how are they arranged? So all Paul's letters arranged in what? Yeah, the Pauline epistles. So do you know how those are arranged? What's that? Not alphabetically. So uh, it's not quite not quite chronological. By length, yeah. So largely by length. And then you've got the Corinthians that are kind of together because, you know, they match. And so interesting, uh, you know, how that is. So anyway, so there's no set, you know, somebody came up with like thought that it was a good way to do it um, that way. So anyway, so we're going to go to Philippians. So Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. All right, we'll pause right there. So what is the appeal that Paul is making um, there right at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1? Okay, well, we'll get to that idea as far as like, you know, how, how we have this, this unity, right? Um, but you kind of see, right, if there is, if, if he has this kind of, right, this appeal to take action, right? Even, even kind of in the language, so if there is any, right, so if, then what? Then do or believe or, so he wants you to kind of take action on this idea. And so if there is any encouragement in Christ, um, in other words, you know, Paul is saying like, for Christ's sake, do what is being asked. And so he's kind of setting up, right, a few kind of reasons uh, for them to um, take his appeal in consideration, which you've kind of already nailed, uh, you know, on, on, the, on the head as far as like what he wants them to do. We'll get that in just a second. But he kind of throws out a few things, right? He says, if there is any encouragement from Christ, in Christ, right? So I want you to take action. If there is any comfort from love, right? Um, and so 
that idea of comfort is any sort of encouragement. Uh, some things we, some, sometimes we think comfort in the sense of someone, you know, coming from a place of sadness, which often it is, right, to console someone. But if there is any, you know, way to encourage um, out of a place of love, right, so he's appealing to that side of someone, where is Paul currently writing this letter from in Philippians? You guys know? What's that? Prison, yeah. And so... Um, yeah, so he's either in prison or not in prison. And usually as far as where he's writing things. And so in this one, right, in Philippians, he's in prison. And he makes that appeal right at the beginning of chapter 1. And so if you want to come and encourage me, uh, if you take any sort of pity on me um, from a place of love, then I want you to listen to me. And he says, if you have any sort of participation in the spirit, right? If you are a fellow believer, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, right? We've talked about that um, in Romans 8. We talked about that in Galatians 3 about walking in the spirit and what that means. And as believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so if you are prompted by the Holy Spirit, but for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, I want you to take this appeal. And then he also says, right, if you have any affection and sympathy, that idea of affection is your inward bowels. But that was kind of a, a um, kind of a Hebrew way of saying, right, your heart, like the way that we would say our heart. If there's any sort of emotion inside of you or, right, if you have any sort of sympathy, any sort of pity or concern, so there was one idea of you want to encourage me out of love or if you just take pity on me because of the state I'm in or where I'm at, right, then I want you to listen to what I'm saying. So pretty much Paul is taking out all of like the mother-in-law guilt, you know, uh, appeals, right? You know, as far as like if there's if you love me, if you know, <laughs> if you have any consideration for me. If it's not for me, do it for your father, right? Do it for Christ, you know? And so Paul kind of pulls out like all of those things in order to make this appeal. And as you guys all said, what is that appeal? What does he want them to be? Unified. Unified. It wasn't until um, I had a... I had a uh, you know, Old Testament and New Testament is called exposition class. And you pretty much go through like every uh, book of the Bible and kind of what are the major themes. And then you had to write papers on them and things like that. But you went through, you know, Old Testament one semester, New Testament another semester. And so we had all these papers that were kind of at the end. And one of them was uh, um, how does Paul trace this idea of unity throughout his um, writings? And it was one of those things that didn't really strike me until I was forced to look like that is kind of Paul's biggest appeal. I mean, he says a lot of things and there's lots of verses that we can quote and things that like Paul says theologically about this, or that or the other. But again, who is Paul writing to? All of the letters, except for people, are written to, to churches, right? And so... As a church, right, there may be doctrinal errors that they have. There may be issues of people, you know, teaching things that they shouldn't listen to. There may be arguments or divisiveness or all of those things. And in the end, he wants them to step back and he wants them to be united, to be united. Now, united, not not under like a false teacher, right? Sometimes he has to argue against that, but united and it, we'll get to kind of the idea of what he wants them to be united under. But again, that idea of unity is his 
you know, primary focus and goal for the church as they're living together, as they're in communities. I need you guys to be together on this. Again, as families, we would say the same thing. Like, I just want my children to get along. We guys just stop arguing. You know, that might come out of selfish ambition, right? To be like, hey, you're bothering me. Um, but Paul is concerned for them and he's writing the, to them from prison. And so he says they want to be united. And he kind of gives some you know, qualifications in how they can be united, right? What are some of the things that he says? United how? Okay. So the first thing he says is, right, yeah, same mind, right, or same thinking. Does that mean we should all think the same? Okay, yes, yeah, so as long as we all agree with Troy, right? Now, we know, right, we know that's not going to happen, right? Because we're all individuals and we all have different experiences, but we should have the same mind or same thinking and same understanding and that we agree, right, in the same primary ways. And we'll look at that in just a second. Like, what is the main thing that, the way that we should be thinking? How should our thinking be alike? Again, we don't have the same conclusions or opinions or, you know, whatever it is, based on, again, our own experiences, our own, you know, um, backgrounds. But we should have the same way of thinking about um, each other and particularly how we think about God. Uh, what's the next thing he says? So same mind or thinking, same what? Love, right? What are the two greatest commandments? Yeah, love God, love others, love your neighbor, right? So this idea of love. If you have the same love, right, if our love should all be like to glorify God and to, to um, praise God, and we should all be concerned about our neighbors and love our neighbors, we should have this same kind of love um, that is outward. And so if we have the same love... If he says we have a full accord, which is kind of an interesting way of, you know, phrasing something. Does any, any other version say anything different? It says being in full accord after having the same love, being a full accord. United spirit. And that's, that's probably a better translation. It's actually like the, 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 the Greek word is some psycho. So some like totality, right? We would get that word from in, in psycho or psyche, right? Which we have kind of like either our, sometimes it's mind, but it's also spirit is more of, of the understanding in the Greek sense. And so it's that united in spirit. And that's really what, what Paul is getting at um, for that. So if we are, have the same love, we are all together united in the same spirit. And then he says, uh, what's the last thing he says? So full accord or united in spirit and of what? One mind, right? He already said like same mind or same thinking, but we have the, the, this one mind. And what's that one mind that we should have? Intent on one purpose. Okay, and that would be kind of like the idea, but it's, it's really the same word that he uses before, which is the same mind, this one mind, one thinking. So not just the same, but it should be the one. And who's this one mind that we should have? The mind of Christ. And we looked at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and, and we'll look at that verse uh, a little bit later on, that Paul says we all should have, the, we all have the mind of Christ. And so that's what it looks like to be united and having these same purposes, same uh, ideas, and same thoughts. So 
he then kind of says, you know, the sentiment of being united. How is that then rela- related to his, the next verse where he says, do nothing out of sa- selfish ambition or conceit? How are those two thoughts linked to each other? What's that? Okay. And so why does, why, why does that get in the way of us being united? Okay. Yeah. And so the idea of, again, selfish ambition is, is actually this, an outbreak of selfishness. It's, a, it's a kind of an interesting way to think about that, right? Is that a, something that just spurs up of inward, again, attention, and so, is having ambition a bad thing? Okay. Why not? Okay. Without it, we wouldn't get anything done. Okay. What else? We'd only have about two kids. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I'm like I don't. Even, I, I just shouldn't follow. I shouldn't follow up with anything with that. So, all right. What, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wouldn't get, wouldn't get anything done. Would only have a little amount of kids. What's that? <laughs> Yeah, right? And Paul would echo that. Like, work as if working unto the Lord. Like, strive as if you are a soldier or an athlete aiming for the prize. Like, and so there is this idea of, of doing things with excellence. And so where does ambition go? And even like, you know, should I be striving to be the best in my field and whatever it is? Again, there's this idea of excellence. And so, you know, and I mentioned this like a couple of weeks ago that my, my son was asking me about kind of these things is like, what, you know, so is it wrong to do something, you know, to try to be the best? Um, you know, is it wrong to want to score a goal? Is it wrong to, you know, want to win a game? You know, all of those things. And so it, it's not wrong, right? But there's also like, well, what's the motive? And there's always a danger, right, that's coupled with it. So, again, Paul isn't saying anything about ambition, but where does this like, this selfish ambition, this inward attention come from? So, and the second thing he says, this idea is conceit. Um, does anyone have another translation? Vain glory. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, the, 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 the word is empty thinking. So this, again, vanity, right, is this emptiness. But he's using, again, that same mind and thought kind of word of empty thinking. It also can be translated as an illusion or a delusion, which I think is a great way to think about what that is, right? Often we think, like, if, if, we, if we ever think, like, man, I'm really good at this, then you find there's always something better. Uh, my... You know, my son has been getting into uh, wrestling, and so we've been oddly watching wrestling on TV. Never thought that would happen. Um, and it's amazing, right, when these people go against each other, it's like, this guy won state, and, you know, for whatever state it was, going against another guy who won state, 
but one guy might cream the other guy. And so you're like, obviously one state champion is much better than the other state champion. And there's always something better, right? There's this delusion that we may fall under to think like um, we are more prized than we should be. And so how, how do those things, again, um, so, well, first, before I ask that, is it wrong to think you're good at something? No. Okay. Okay. What's the difference? Can you say it before we hear that? What's, can you, can you? Having satisfaction and success versus being a big mouth about Yeah. What and what is what is maybe being skilled at something or good at something help help you understand about yourself, especially maybe if you're younger. But yeah. Yeah. It also is, right, the way that God kind of, like, helps you know, like, your calling, right? When there's kind of that idea of, like, what a calling is in life is really, like, the way that God has made you, you feel like you're in kind of where, you know, he wants you to be, right? How he's gifted you in relationships, how he's gifted you in the craft that you do, the things that you're a part of. Um, and so it's sometimes kind of an affirmation in that. And so, again, it's wrong, though, to... To uh, or it's not wrong to again rightly assess yourself, but it is wrong, right, to puff ourselves up, to promote ourselves, um, to being something better than we are. Because when we do that, right, when we turn our attention to ourselves, can we still be united with one another? Can we have the same love? Can we have the same mind? Can we have the same spirit? If I look at myself and think. Well, he's not, he's not bad, but maybe in a few years he'll get, he'll get a little better. Or maybe she, you know, she just needs a, you know, some time before she gets to the place that I'm at. Well, certainly recognizing that, I mean, these are, this is the remnant of original sin, right? This pursuit of personal glory that drives our selfish ambition. So the encouraging thing is we, we know that we have not tendency or that temptation, even in the church, we're, if we're not guarding ourselves, we're going to be prone to doing things for our own purposes. <clears throat> even when we practice things that on the surface look good, we're doing it with the wrong motivations. And so, so it's encouraging to know that we're going to deal with that in our own hearts. We're going to deal with it with other people, but the only response is to die to that. Yeah, and, and even then, you know, and, and remember in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul even says, like, even some of the works that we've done, like, is going to be refined, right? And so there's some things that we thought were, you know, worthy, and we're then kind of, like, faced with it, and it was like, I guess it wasn't. You know, I guess it was out of selfish ambition um, that some of the things that we thought were good were going to be burned up, hay and stubble. And so why, why 
why do people, we, you know, why is that as part of the original sin? So what's behind why we want to make ourselves look better? So again, sometimes we're deceived in thinking that we're better, but sometimes we want recognition or sometimes we want, you know, the praise of men. What's, what's behind that? And not only, not only like, you know, you can say our hatred for God, but really like the, the decisions that God has made, you know, his will for our life in the moment, right? We, you know, um, if we are passed over <laughs> for a promotion, if we are overlooked for, you know, if somebody, we had an idea and someone else is given the credit for it, right, um, you know, where do we find that our worth is from? And do we find like satisfied in, you know, what God has provided for us in the here and now? And so there's a whole, a whole lot of things that we can kind of think about. And Paul, again, we're only in, in verse, you know, two, <laughs> uh, all the things that we could kind of go deep in and kind of unpacking, right? Our own hearts, our own motivations. But Paul says, this is kind of my desire for you. And so then he provides a, a kind of a good definition of, of humility at the end of verse 3. What, is, what does he say? In order to overcome this selfish ambition, this conceit or delusional thinking about ourselves. Looking out for others more than yourself. Okay. Yeah. And so... Basically serving others. Okay. Well, and the first is before you serve them, is to, you know, it says, uh, you know, in the ESV it says counting others as more significant than yourself. Um, it's not a bad, it's not, a, again, a bad translation. The idea is that this, on a, on a linear scale, right, just kind of like one to ten, um, if you kind of thought of yourself, like, in a particular way, right, is then someone else is one number ahead of me. Right. So if you kind of said, like, you know, on a scale of one to ten, what do you feel like your like sense of humor is? You know, everyone thinks they're funny at some point. And does anyone ever say, like, I'm just not funny? Maybe there's you, yeah. How humble are you? Yes, so you are. So now would you like look to the person to your left or right and be like, I might be a six, but but you're a seven. Right. And so <laughs> to think, right, whatever you think about yourself, when the way that you view others should be on a scale, right, if we were to numerically number ourselves, that they are higher than we are. Right. I feel like I'm a decent cook, but like Lionel's better than me. Right. And again, without even knowing or comparing that's just how we should view. I might have even tasted something that Lionel says, but I should view Lionel as better than me, right, in this kind of idea. And so that's, that's where Paul says, like, our, our thinking should just kind of be our response is to look at others, right, as a little bit better, a little bit um, better than ourselves. Because when he says the idea of humility is to... 
think lowly of yourself. This is idea of like your state, again, using this thinking word as a compound word um, with uh, one's position in life. And so one's position is either someone who's kind of in a lower class or of no account, just like, you know, I'm, I'm like the undesirables. I'm the ones, not like thinking worse of yourself, but just like making very little contribution. And so when you think of yourself that way, right, you know, uh, you're really touching on some kind of like things that go against your, you know, kind of cultural norms, right? To look at other people as, as, as your superior. You know, if you thought, if we treated everyone the way that some people treat their bosses or those that are in higher leadership roles, like, how would that affect things? Yeah. So it's what so but if we all treated one another that way from the you know, the poorest, no esteem, no reputation person all the way to the boss or you know whoever is the highest in your mind, how would that would change everything? So, so it's kind of a value statement that goes beyond just the action. I mean Michael Gore's not gonna look at somebody and go, Yeah, you're really one notch above me. But it's in a value just because he is good at this or because he is in this position. Is his value any more than anybody else? Absolutely not. But you do have to be careful with that mindset because you can turn into I think nothing of myself back right. in on yourself. So where you're back in the same position of the vainglory where all you're doing is thinking how worthless you are and then you're no effect to anybody because why would anybody want me around? So you Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a that was you know one of the kind of the shocking statements, and uh, you know I'm sure it's talked about in the counseling conference. But this counseling class that I took was like when people are very like negative against themselves is because they love themselves too highly, right? You know, whatever. I, I all the negative statements are because they actually you know, feel like they should be better than they actually, actually are. Right, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of uncover a couple things. But, I mean, we've all probably been in a room, right, when somebody walks in who's, like, noticeable or famous or even, like, if, if you go, like, you're in a, a meeting with, like, a superior <laughs> Like you might have your 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 direct boss, but then in your you're in the room with like his boss, right? And you're like, people are like acting different, talking different, you know, like giving more praise, you know, and and so um, it's interesting, right? And so I just think like, what if we all treated each other in in that way that you know you are your boss's boss, right? And so um, you know, how would that work itself out? And so, again, why is that hard to do? Um, you know, it's against our, 
our human nature. And it, it kind of comes at odds with that idea of like ambition and doing things with excellence and then wanting to have the recognition, wanting to like, you know, be afforded with some of that. And then that automatically then puts us a rank above instead of a rank below others. And so, uh, verse four, how can we look to the interests of others? Yeah, and so some of it is, right, like, and again, we've, we've talked about this, right, needing to be in each other's lives. That's, that's kind of partly, like, why it's hard for me to break up, you know, you guys' conversation is because that's how, that's like a way that you're functioning as the body of Christ. I mean, this is one way that we can be of, like, one mind and understanding, but, like, the way that we look to the interests of others is knowing the interests of others and being involved in each other's lives, right, finding out each other's needs, a way that we can help each other and serve each other and encourage one another, um, you know, so we're often busied by our own lives. So let us look to the interests of others and not necessarily like sharing what are the interests in ourselves. And so, you know, kind of Paul finishes a section about having the mind of Christ. And so how can we have this mind among ourselves? How can we have the mind of Christ? Okay. It's hard to really discuss what it looks like for us to put others as more important and not look out to our own self interest until we fully understand how Christ humbled himself. Yeah. Because we're not even touching all these worthy comments that have been made, we're not even touching the surface of what it means to truly humble ourselves as God ourselves. So we should turn there, huh? We should. Yeah, All right. I don't ever want to get ahead of you. No, no, no. We're going. We're going there. Just setting the table. Setting the table. So, um, all right. So, verse six. Right. And Paul says again that we have the mind of Christ if we are in Christ, and that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. And so, verse six, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, you know, Paul says that, you know, though he was in the form of God. So when was Jesus in the form of God in this, you know? This. Okay, so eternity past, that's true. You say always. Well, and so when we think of like, yeah, the form of, the form of God, right, being spirit and eternal, at what time did Christ change that form and become part of temporal? I think you said it. Yeah, and so in the incarnation, right? And so, so up to that point, right, that, you know, uh, Jesus was in the form of God. <clears throat> 
And now he has taken on a human form. And Paul says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What's the idea behind that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when we think of like that idea of grasp, you know, sometimes we think of like kind of grasping with our mind, but it's really like kind of gripping or holding on to, um, and it wouldn't physically be gripping or holding on to, but this idea of like not letting go, right? And so, you know, when I ask the question, what would be something that you had to give up or why would it be hard, right? You can think of like all the reasons that something may be hard, right? It could be something of like a desire, right? Something that's like a habit, part of your life that if it was no longer a part of your life, it would seem hard to be not a part of your life. It could be something that is a uh, is useful for you or helpful for you, um, but when we think about this idea of being um, eternal and omnipresent um, and omnipotent, you know, all the omnis, when we think about like what are the qualities of God that we don't have because we are human, we are limited, um, those are the things, could you give that up, Right? Now, for us, we don't know any differently, right? But this is what the son gave up, right? And it wasn't something that he held tightly onto, that it was gripped. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're, if you empty out your piggy bank and you have all your money in your hand, and it's like, would you give up all your money in your piggy bank? Well, you're like, that's all the money that I have, right? And when you look at a, you know, at a child having <laughs> a certain amount of money in their piggy bank, right? It's not that, not that much in those terms, but for them, it's everything. Now, for, for Jesus, it was these things that made him, you know, um, part of the Godhead that he easily gave up in order to become a human, to become a man. And Paul describes, you know, uh, Jesus, more than just being a man, but he said, taking the form of what? What's that? A slave. a slave. Yeah. And so some say the form of a servant, but it's the idea of, of, of being a slave. And right before that, right, right at the beginning of verse 7, it says he emptied himself. It's kind of a big theological term. Um, the It's you know, the canonin of like what, like what it, it means to uh, be emptied out. And so part of it is like when Jesus became man, did he empty out, like I pour out a cup, like all of everything that is God? Or what does this idea of being emptied out mean? What's that?
Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Is like, is there is there a better kind of term than set aside? I mean, in a sense, yes. It's like willfully, right? Um, you know, there's the, the idea of like, again, yeah. If you if you empty it out, it's not like wasted or gone. It is like taking and removing that part of his, his yeah. So it's probably kind of a, a better idea. And so when he's like divesting himself of partly it's not just of who he is but the role that he is right when you think of like all of those things of of power right that he's kind of allowing that to be again um let go or again as you said put off to the side or renouncing some of these things in order to take the form of a slave Yeah. What's the idea, though, behind that? Like, why, why did he give up, you know, uh, why did he give up, you know, being the prince? What would you think, right? Why would royalty swit, switch? Yeah, so... Exactly, right? So it's the, it's the idea of, like, I don't know any different, right? So, and that's not what, that's not what um, you know, what Paul is describing, right? He, he knows what it means. And again, it's not just, again, to be um, just someone who is, uh, you know, even like just, just to be a human, but even more so, he says, to be a slave. Now, was Jesus a slave when he was born? So it's not in this sense of like in, in the way that we look at like what it means to be free or what it means to be slave, but what is, what is the idea of being a, a slave, being a human? How are humans, how are we all slaves? Okay. So sl- slave to, our, to sin, right? But we know Jesus never sinned, but he was in a world of sin. And so we've got that, I- that idea there. Um, but essentially... God is, compared to us, our what? He's our creator. And so we are the creation. And so as a creation, what is our, you know, what is our role to the creator? We're subject. We're subject, right? We're in bondage to the creator. Like the creator made us for a particular purpose. Now we could rebel against what that's supposed to be, um, and many do. But that's the idea, is that then Jesus became a part of the creation. I mean, again, just kind of a, a wild thought, like, of an artist painting a picture and then being a part of that picture. Like, it almost seems like that's kind of like a making of kind of like a horror film, right? Like, this thing that you've made, now you're in inside of what that is with the limitations, with the trappings, with the, um, all of the things that you have to deal with. Right? And what are all the things that Jesus had to deal with, right? Becoming a man, right? So being born, uh, growing up, having to work, um, being hungry, having to sweat and be tired, right? Having pain of loss of others, um, having physical pain, 
Um, and even again, as he says, like taking on what the ultimate part of being human is, is to die, right? Were there people that escaped death in Scripture? They were taken right, right directly to heaven. Enoch, right? And Elijah, right? There, there are, it seems like some like exit plans for a couple, right? Did Jesus take that one, you know? No, he did the will of the Father, and he died um, a pretty painful death. It wasn't like, again, quick and painless, right? It wasn't something like a merciful death. It was one that was humiliating, and even that we looked at last week, that it came in with a curse, with a stigma um, of how he died. And so all those things he chose, right? He you know, did the will of the Father, not begrudgingly, but he yielded himself to what was the plan of the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. He knew what it meant, and he fully accepted um, that idea. And so, we'll pause there before we kind of look at, like, what did it achieve and we'll kind of, again, recap some of that and then finish out again. That how does understanding that work out itself amongst the body of Christ? But um, I don't want to rush this and uh, to do that, to work it out. Yeah. So any, uh, any questions or thoughts, right? You know, there's a little bit of a cliffhanger, but or at least like what we uh, gave. But you probably read ahead and, you know, I mean, we read it all together. So, um, but any, 